Personally, I am grateful to see you here. You have been greeted already by several ones, and uh, we want to add our greetings to that, especially is that the case if you're visiting. We are truly honored by your presence. But it's good to see the familiar faces of those that we have known and loved for many, many years, and we appreciate the fact that we're able to be together again on, as Steve said, this beautiful Lord's Day morning. We should be profoundly grateful and gratefully uh, and sincerely thankful for such a day as this. We have our ushers with the study guides in hand coming down the aisle. Uh, please take one if you would like so that you can follow along uh, with the lesson and maybe take some notes on what you see on the screen. We hope that the lesson will be profitable and beneficial to all of us. I want you to be turning to Matthew chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. We will not have this text on the screen, but I do want us to read together the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11. Jesus has been baptized and is now facing the temptation at the hands of Satan. And here is how Matthew records that episode. You can also find it recorded in the first chapter of the book of Mark and the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Matthew records this event in 11 verses. Mark uses only two verses. He just mentions the fact that Jesus was tempted, doesn't give us very many of the details. Luke takes basically the same amount of space that Matthew takes, but we find that he inverts one of the temptations, or two of the temptations. Whereas in Matthew, you will have 
the temple temptation, as some, some refer to it as, being the second one. But Mark, or Luke rather, puts that at the last. He does the first two and then goes to Jerusalem. First two are in the wilderness and the last one is in Jerusalem. As you look at this, it's very, very interesting to observe several things that we want to mention this morning. But I want to mention first, before we get to that, Paul Harvey's article, which I have a copy of, that came out of the Los Angeles Times in uh, 1993. That article was originally written by Paul Harvey in 1965. So I went back and looked it up again and found the original statement made by Paul Harvey on his newscast back in the 60s. I remember Brother Batzel Barrett Baxter mentioning that article when I was in college at Lipscomb back in the late 60s. And Brother Baxter preached a sermon on by the same title, If I Were the Devil. Listen to that particular article written by Paul Harvey. If I were the devil... If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. Now, you guys... Probably you younger people don't know what square means. But, uh, you know, you, you were just with it. But, uh, and the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. And I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families that war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage school to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. 
Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, and then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet that I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct, and I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and that you could see on the TV or what you see on the TV is the way it ought to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases from which, or for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, good day. That's the original manuscript to Paul Harvey's If I Were the Devil. I want us to think about that concept, that idea this morning. I want you to know about Satan that he is real. You read of him first in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, where the Bible records the temptation of Mother Eve and then her husband Adam. She gave of that forbidden fruit to him, and he did eat also. He is not, Satan is not the figment of someone's imagination. He's not the product of imaginations run wild. He is actually a person. He is described in Scripture. We talk sometimes about his origin, and uh, sometimes people differ on that, but uh, the information given in the Scriptures seems to indicate that he is a fallen angel. And uh, we do know that he was lifted up in pride and exalted himself against God. But he will meet the end that is set forth in the Scriptures, that he and all his cohorts will be cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. But Satan is real. He is present. First Peter 5a, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, he is more, more subtle and perhaps not as loud as a roaring lion oftentimes. But a roaring lion is someone that is hungry, someone that is looking for something or someone to devour. And that is Satan. He is very much present in our world today. He is described in Matthew 6, 13 as the evil one. The model prayer has, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil in the King James Version. The original language denotes the evil one. That is perhaps more accurate. Deliver us from the evil one who does tempt us. So Satan is evil and he is very deceptive. The book of Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 describes him as the great deceiver 
who deceives the whole world. Go back and look at Harvey's speech again, and you'll notice that everyone is the target of Satan. Our homes, our families, our schools, our institutions of uh, government and so on. And of course, Satan is very much interested in destroying and canceling out the influence of God's people. And so he's going to do everything he can to do that. An individual once missed a church service and uh, was kindly habitual in doing that. And he saw the preacher one Monday morning and said, uh, well, preacher, I guess you noticed that my seat was empty again yesterday. To which the preacher responded by saying, oh, no, your seat was not empty. And he said, oh, what do you mean? He said, well, I look back there where you normally sat, and there sat the devil smiling at me and saying, I got him again. I hope that that sunk in to that fellow. And uh, he didn't allow that to happen. But Satan will hound those who are Christians. He will seek to tempt us and to lead us into sin. So know these things about Satan. He's real, he's present, he's evil, and he is very, very deceptive. That is the basis of all temptation. This is not going to harm you. It's not going to hurt you. It'll make you wiser. You may even be on the level with God if you will do this. That's the very strategy that Satan employed originally. Four characteristics of his temptations. I think sometimes that uh, we forget that the temptations of Satan are by design uh, to they're designed to deceive us and to cause us to think that, you know, I deserve this. I, I've had so many people to say over the years and talking with them about problems, well, I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be happy. I should be happy too. And if we're not careful, Satan can employ that to lead us into the dark, lurid things of life that will bring us so much sorrow and pain and regret. God wants me to be happy. Well, perhaps that's true in a sense, but God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be good. He wants us to avoid sin. The Bible is filled with passages to that end. Notice, if you will, that the temptations of Satan will come at the most opportune time for him. What had just happened when Satan came to tempt Jesus? Jesus had just been baptized. New converts, be aware. Be aware and alert. Satan will make an attempt to lead you astray not long after you become a Christian. There will be temptations forthcoming. You can count on it. Notice in the second place that Jesus had been fasting. Satan will approach you maybe at 
the weakest point in your life, when you lose a loved one, when you go through some traumatic experience, be prepared for Satan's temptation. They'll come. So many times I've heard people say, why did God do this to me? Or why would God allow me to go through this? That's when Satan will make his attack. He wants you to blame God, just like he wanted Adam and Eve to blame God. Why did God forbid you from eating that fruit? And you'll notice that he slanders God, maybe kind of indirectly, but he slanders God. You know, God doesn't want you to be wise like he is. And you'll notice that Satan is great at making accusations. You'll recall that he told God, Job is only good because you blessed him. You take away what you've given him and he'll curse you. He not only slanders God, but he slanders God's people. He questions their motives. He wants to plant that seed of doubt there that every time a Christian does a good deed, oh, he just does that to get notoriety. Or he just wants to be praised for it. You take away your blessings and he'll curse you. You see, we have to be prepared for that. Jesus was very hungry, so how did Satan approach him? If you're the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread so you'll have something to eat. And that classic response, man shall not live by bread alone. We all need to learn that. That's still a lesson that needs application today. We're to live by the word of God. Feed upon it. In the second place, he is very patient in his temptations, but he is extremely persistent. He just kept coming back again and again. And you'll notice that when Jesus quoted Scripture to him after the first temptation, what did Satan do in the second temptation? He quoted Scripture to the Lord. If you can do that, I can do it better, is the idea. Jesus then rebuked him by showing that the Scriptures must be properly handled and interpreted. And so Satan didn't try it the next time. But Satan knows what the Scriptures teach and affirm. And he will even utilize those to lead people into temptation. Satan was patient, but he was persistent. So when you are tempted once, do not think that you will be left alone. Satan will return and maybe up the ante a little bit by tempting you in a more susceptible area. And then notice that he aimed his temptations at the most critical areas. John tells us in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, we're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he gives us, in verse 16, the three avenues through which temptations come. The lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I do not know of a single temptation that does not include one, if not more, of those three avenues. Any temptation that comes upon us is common to man and was common to Christ. He was tempted in all points like as are we, yet without sin. If you analyze the three temptation or the three avenues of temptation and look back at the incidents in the scriptures, Adam and Eve, Eve especially, tempted in all three areas. It's good for food. It is pleasant to the taste, and it'll make you wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's beautiful to look upon, remember? The temptations of Jesus fall into those three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And any temptation that comes upon you or me will involve one or more of those three channels. But you look and you notice the eyes look upon things, and man, that's a powerful channel for sin to fall and flow into our lives. Then there's the, the lust of the flesh. You know, it's, that would be so good. That would be so intriguing to do. It would make me feel so good. That's the lust of the flesh. Oh, this will give me a lot more friends. Uh, people will flock to me if, if I'll just become like them. And, and oh, that's the pride of life. It appeals to, or Satan will appeal to our basest desires. Those are most critical areas, but they're also the basest of uh, basest desires for motivation. We should think more about faith and hope and love, and live in view of those things. Then, what can we do to overcome Satan's temptation? We need to resist him. Every time he approaches us, he needs to be resisted. James 4, verses 7 and 8, the first verse talks about resist the devil and he will flee from you. The next verse, verse 8, talks about drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. Those two Practices are very important. You don't give place to the devil. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said, whatever you do, don't set a plate at the table for the devil. Don't give him a place in your home or in your life, in the workplace, wherever. <laughs> Resist him with all your being. Build your faith. Develop it through a study of God's Word so that you can be prepared. In the second place, employ the Scriptures to your advantage. We have no greater example than Jesus Christ, and that's what He did. You may have heard that the book of Deuteronomy is probably the most maligned and attacked book in the 66 books of the Bible. 
There are people who say that it isn't real, it isn't genuine, it's not authentic. That we really don't know who the authors are. It may have been written by A, B, C, D, you know, and there's all kinds of theories about it. And there are a lot of very liberal theologians who would say book of Deuteronomy doesn't belong in the Bible. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was tempted, every quotation that he made to the devil came from the book of Deuteronomy? Every one of them. Do you not think the devil would have been smart enough to have picked up on that if the book of Deuteronomy was not authentic? He would have said to the Lord, Why, what are you talking about? That book's not authentic. It, it can't be trusted. No, the devil knew that what came out of the book of Deuteronomy was the truth. And he could not stand in the face of it. And so he departed and left Jesus alone. The scriptures add, for a season. Doesn't mean that he didn't return. Oh, Satan tempted Jesus multiple times during his earthly ministry through the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees and all those who came after Jesus time after time after time as we have learned in the book of John in our studies on Wednesday night. Employ the scriptures to your advantage. Verses 4, 7, and 10 all have Jesus quoting the scriptures. It is written. It is written. It is written three times. And seemingly with a little bit more strength and emphasis as those temptations proceeded. Dress yourself, attire yourself, robe yourself in the Christian armor. You've read it many times, Ephesians 6. Verses 10 through 18. Paul advises all Christians to put on that Christian armor. Take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the, the girdle or the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, all of that. Take that to yourselves and avail yourselves of the strength that comes by doing so. You'll be able to resist the devil and uh, have him to turn from you. That's what we can do to overcome. Be not overcome of evil, Paul wrote to the Romans, but overcome evil with good. Just don't be on the defensive all the time. Go on the offensive. Do that which is good. It's not enough just to be good in a, quote, negative way, that is, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, that is good. If those things are evil, then don't do them. But there needs to be the positive. Here's what I must do. Here's what I must do. Here's what I must do. That's how we overcome evil with good. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, we're told, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We must look to Jesus if we would overcome temptation. Look at his example, yes. Study it inside out. 
and look at, at it in each one of the uh, accounts that are given. Study everything the Bible has to say about temptation. But look to Him. Keep your eye on Him. He is able, we're told in Hebrews 2.18, to succor or to aid us when we are tempted. And we are assured that He will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape, not allowing us to be tempted above that which we're able. Paul reminded the Corinthians of that. Set your affection and your attention on things that are above. Boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? There is so much in this world clamoring for our attention. So many things saying, look at this. Watch me. Follow me. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to feel good? Everywhere you look, there's those things that are reaching out. I guess you could say they're the tentacles of the devil trying to lure us into his clutches. Let us set our affection on things of heaven, not on the things of this earth. I don't know how many things you have, but I've got a pretty good idea that you're like we are. There's so many things in the garage or in the storage building or whatever, and you get to looking for something and you can't find it for all the other things being in the way. Satan uses things. We can overcome. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. That didn't mean that he could do evil with God's approval, but he's talking about things that are right and good and that will bring honor and glory to God. Paul wrote this encouraging letter to the Philippians from a prison cell. Hard to imagine that he could write such positive letters as to them and to young Timothy, that he could speak so encouragingly to these fellow Christians when he was in a position of suffering himself. He said, the gospel is not bound. Though I'm bound, the gospel is not bound. Don't allow the gospel to be bound in your life. It's the power of God unto salvation. Why not obey it today? Become a New Testament Christian. Repent of every sin. Confess the sweetest name that has ever been heard before man, the name of Christ. Turn in penitence to make, as you make that good confession, be sure to say, I'm going to leave this life of sin behind and I'm going to serve the Lord from this point on. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You may have done that, but you have allowed Satan to get a foothold again. And he is camping out in your heart, in your home, in your life. You need to resist him and give God the place that he deserves. You need to be restored. Do that today. Tarry no longer in sin. We invite you to come if you're subject as we stand and sing.